Hello, everybody. It's uh, Mother's Day. Uh, it's a great weekend, always is, but this one in particular because it is Mother's Day. And I've got a great message for you today. I love coming to you. I love teaching the scriptures. And, and let me just tell you that uh, today, I, the message is kind of broken up into three parts because it's Mother's Day. Uh, the first part, we're going to have some fun taking some snapshots of mothers and some of the things that they do. And then um, <clears throat> in the middle part, I'm going to take you through a Bible story that might seem a little unorthodox for Mother's Day, but it is about two mothers is what it is. And then in the last third, I'm going to bring home the application that applies to the title of this message. And the title of this Mother's Day message is, The Word Became Flesh. And you may think that's a weird title for a Mother's Day message. Hopefully, when I tie it all together near the end and in the end, it's going to make a lot of sense. So let me begin by saying, Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. You are the great ones. Now, let's get into the first third of our message and look at some Mother's Day uh, lifestyles. And I, I had to look some of these up because I'm not a mom, so I'm a dad. And so I had to look these things up. But <clears throat> isn't it true, moms, that there have been times for some of you that you put your baby into the car seat, in the car, in the later part of the evening and drive around the block or the neighborhood just so your child will fall asleep? That you'll go to any lengths and do whatever it takes, including waste gas money just so your child will fall asleep. Is that not true? Or moms, how about the car nap? You pull in the driveway or you pull into Target, a parking stall there, and you realize your baby has fallen asleep. The big crisis has happened. The decision. What are you going to do now? You can, one, wake your baby up, but you're not going to do that. Or two, you can take the mom car nap while your baby's napping. And how many of you have opted for option number two? Another thing about you mothers that I've noticed is you have gotten used to picking other people's noses. That's right, because you got to get the booger out of your kid's nose because that kid is a reflection of you. And so you have no problem sticking your finger in that kid's nose and getting that booger out. And how many of you Keep that nail a little bit longer to get that booger out right there. And of course, what mom has not ever thought of or at least done this? You take a picture, yes, a picture on your phone of your child's poop. Why? Because you got to show it to the doctor next time around because that just doesn't quite look like the right color. And how many of you have done that? Raise your hand out there. I see that hand. And of course, there are those moments in time Speaking about poop, that when you see a strange brown substance somewhere, when it turns out to be something like chocolate, isn't that a great day? Isn't it a great day that it's not poop on the floor or on the carpet or wherever? Now, <clears throat> I read these mom statements and I want to read these to you. There's one, two, there's three of them, and I found them funny. First mom statement is this one. See if you guys, you moms concur. The first one is this, and I quote, I slept until 7.30 and now have a clogged bathroom sink. All the candy is gone 
and the playroom is a disaster. And she closes with, worth it. <laughs> it was worth it just to sleep in. Or how about this one? Another mom said this, silence is golden. Unless you have kids, then silence is suspicious. That's right, because what are those kids up to now? Because they're not usually this quiet. But this is my favorite parenting statement, because I've said it. It said, one mom said, 80% of parenting consists of you telling your kid or kids, you're fine, you're fine, you're okay. And of course, you know, they're crying, they're, you're fine. Now, one of my favorite things that I found online, a, a meme with two slides, and the first one is this one, slide please, and that is, this is the first time you hear the word mom. And of course, you're like, oh, they said mom, and you're so happy. Second slide, please. This is the 7,567th time you've heard the term mom, 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 mom. And they are now driving you absolutely insane. Isn't that a mom? Absolutely it is. Now, with that said, would you turn with me in your Bible or turn in your Bible app to 1 Kings chapter 3. <clears throat> this will be one of those weird Old Testament stories. It's not weird. It's just different, I guess. Story about two single mothers. Um, we're going to go verse by verse to dissect this, and we're going to give application as we go, and then we're going to bring it to a crushing conclusion of application when we look at, and the word became flesh. So 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. Um, First thing it says, then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. <clears throat> now, I have to be mindful that you parents are watching from home in self-quarantine and you have children with you who are watching also. So, I want to make sure that I watch my terminology. So, when it comes to the vocation of the women, I'm going to just use the term broken or brokenness, okay? That way we're, we're okay as I teach us if kids are there. Now, they have an audience with the king, these two women. Who is the king? The king is Solomon. He is David, King David's son. King David has just died. Solomon's new on the throne. They are bringing a situation. Well, it's a dilemma, actually. And the king is called to make a judgment on situations. They are two single women living in the same house. There are no eyewitnesses to the situation. Now, remember, don't think of a home like that we have. Think of it as a smaller, maybe one, maybe two-room place. It's very, very small. So put yourself back in time there. Two single women, broken, living in the same household. Now, verse 17. Here it begins the dilemma, the problem they're bringing before the king. Verse 17, it says, The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. It happened, verse 18, on the third day after I gave birth, 
that this woman also gave birth to a child and we were together. There was no stranger, mean no client. There was no stranger with us in the house. Only the two of us in the house. Okay, <clears throat> here's the problem. They're in the same home, or I should say the setup. They give birth to babies three days apart. There are no eyewitnesses to what has happened and what the problem is they're bringing to the king. Now, verse 19. Here's where everything turns pretty bad. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. Let me tell you. There are, I always tell you, I gave you so many years to watch movies, and I did. There are two movies that drive me nuts. One from 1986, I gave you 34 years now. One from 1997, I gave you 23 years on this one. The 1986 movie is called The Money Pit. Everything goes wrong for that family in that movie. The 1997 movie is called The Game. Everything goes wrong. And in each case, it goes from bad to worse to worser to worsest to worsened. And it's just, it's just terrible. <clears throat> now, let me tell you something about me. There is something in me, because I remember watching The Money Pit with Olivia in 1986 at a drive-in. I remember when things were just going bad, bad, bad. I turned to her and I said, I can't take much more of this. Something has to go right. I can't take it. See, there's something in me. There's a button somewhere. When life keeps going bad, 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 worse, 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 something in me, I, I just can't take it. I, I just, I really cannot take it. Something's got to give. I say that to say this. <clears throat> you have here a single broken mom. I guarantee you the vocation she's in, this is not what she thought her life would be. She didn't grow up thinking, this is how my life is going to turn out. This is what I'm going to do. That was not her dream. Her dreams somewhere were broken. I don't know if she had a husband. I don't know if he left her. I don't know what, but if she's left by herself, she has to find any means she can just to survive. So nothing's gone right for this woman. It's a broken woman. And then she has a child. Ah, a child. <clears throat> and that child becomes the only glimmer of joy and hope in her life. It's a good thing. She has three days of like, this is, I have a, I have a baby. And then it happens. She wakes up in the middle of the night and she's rolled over on her child. The assumption is suffocating it. She accidentally did that. Now, I want you to think about this single mom. Her life has gone from pain to pain to pain to the worst possible pain you can possibly imagine. 
it's tough. You got to feel for her. You got to feel for what she's going through, what she's gone through, and what's happening. Now, I want you to watch what she does. And then give me time to expound it from different directions. In verse 20, when she woke up in the middle of the night, found her child dead. Verse 20, it says, So she arose in the middle of the night, there's the other woman telling the story, and she took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept. In other words, while I was asleep. And she laid my child in her bosom right here. And she laid her dead son in my bosom right there. Whoa. Now let's dissect this a bit because I had to really think about it. I had to really think about this. And, 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 and here's some of the thoughts that came into my mind. She, she wakes up. She's accidentally killed her baby. And she swaps her baby out, gives the dead one to the woman, takes the live baby from the other mom right there. You know what my first thought was? I don't want someone else's baby. I want my baby. I don't want their baby. But then I had to think a little deeper. I had to go further, maybe into the psyche of this woman right here. And, and so, <clears throat> as I thought more and more about the situation, and I thought to myself, you know what? There's plenty of people who do this in application. What do you mean, what, what do you mean Jim? Well, how many people experience loss in life, broken relationships? And instead of grieving the loss and working through the pain and healing up the scar tissue on their heart, they rebound quickly into another relationship without any resolve from the past pain and the past hurt. And all they really do in most cases, and they do, is jump into more pain. Friends, listen, pain is a curious thing. It can drive us into seeking help and get healing. Or pain can push us into problems, into pathways that we think to ourselves when we're in it going, what am I doing here again? That's what pain can do to us. And we got to be real careful with that. Now, and then I thought to myself this. I can't really blame her for her crazy move. Think of her life. Now, think closely with me. Think it through. Think of her life. Her life and every relationship she's in because of her brokenness is mechanical. There's no intimacy. There's no emotional closeness. Her life is mechanical. And then she has a baby. And for the first time in who knows how long, there's emotional closeness. There's intimacy there. Someone loves me and I love them back. See, this is the real. She's experiencing the real versus the fake. And then one day she wakes up in the night, one night she wakes up in the night, she's rolled over on her baby and he's dead. See, I can understand her crazy move. Think of the plight that she's in. Think of her situation. Let me tell you what it took me decades to understand 
and to personally learn in my life. And hopefully this will help someone out there because I'm a real black and white person and I can make snap judgments on situations very easily. It's part of the way I am, but I've had to unlearn some stuff. And, and, and here's what I've had to unlearn. I cannot really judge anyone's actions until I walk in their shoes. Be, be, listen, it's so easy to judge people from a distance without any knowledge as to what led them to make those decisions, isn't it? We do this all day long. We make decisions about people's lives, about, you know, well, they did this, this, and that, and we take no time to think of or even try to find out the why behind the what. And in most cases, if we ever found out the why behind the what, we would have so much empathy for that person. You see, yeah, what she did was wrong, but I can understand it. I can understand the need to get out of the mechanical and feel the real. Isn't that what everyone wants? To love and to be loved back? You know it is. You know it. Why do you think God is love? Why do you think Jesus says to love every, your neighbor as yourself? Love is the key thing right here. So let's not judge her too quickly or judge others too quickly. Now, I want to make an application right here that's going to be used later on at the end of this message. Now listen close to this other application. <clears throat> As a mother, speaking to you moms, and if you dads are listening, you know this too. Christian mom or not, no, not, no matter right now, first statement. <clears throat> you painstakingly teach your kids certain moral values, do you not? Of course you do. Now, to the Christian mother, you painstakingly teach them moral values based out of the Bible. And you know you do. You painstakingly teach your children that Jesus Christ did come. He is God in the flesh. He went to a cross and he died on that cross carrying all of our sins. He was buried and three days later, he rose from the dead. And by the way, that was seen by eyewitnesses. Our faith, teach your kids this. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's based on evidence, historical evidence. Jesus did exist. The eyewitnesses saw him. They saw him killed. They saw him buried. And they saw him after he rose from the dead. They saw it. They saw it. Secular historians even write about it. So our faith is not a blind faith. So we painstakingly teach these things to our children. Now take that thought and I want you to think about this. <clears throat> One mother in the story has a live baby. The other mother has a dead one. In the dark of the night, she takes her dead baby, gives it to the mom, takes the live baby. Here's the application. I think the application is clear. Moms, you just can't afford to fall asleep at the wheel. You can't afford to fall asleep at the wheel of your kids' lives in those formative, impressionable years. You, you just can't do it. 
You see, <clears throat> because like in the story, you are, in a sense are, you have the live child and you are sending that child out into a culture and messages are coming in that are going against the grain of what you believe. You're sending your God-fearing, you're pouring into your kid, God-fearing child into a world that might return your child to you with some death ideas or one day even say, I don't believe in God anymore. You know that. You know that's the battle. You know that's the struggle. Let me drill down in case you think, that just doesn't happen. Yes, it does. In Daniel, an Old Testament Jewish book, a man, young man, by the name of Daniel. He is deported to Babylon. Babylon is not a Yahweh, one God-fearing nation at all. They have many idols, and Bel is their chief idol. He goes there. You know what they do there to him and a few other Hebrew young men who are the best and the brightest of those who were taken and deported? They start to educate them in the literature of the land and they, and they teach them the language. They are reshaping the thinking of those young men. So extensive is it that they even change their names from Hebrew names. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. He goes from Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince or Bel my protector. And that's exactly what's going on right now. And you mothers, you know it. And you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You're in the front line of battle. You are instilling truth from the word of God into your kid. And they're going out in the world. And you hope the world, the culture, doesn't send them back dead. Look, let me drill down to somebody watching me right now. You're not a little kid anymore. You're a young adult. And you used to believe in God with everything you had. And you went off into school and they started to systematically dethrone God and you've lost your fire and you've somewhat lost your way. Now, I'm not saying that all teachers out there are secular. There are plenty of great Christian teachers in secular schools and we need them there and they're trying to save the day to bring God into our kids' lives. God bless you teachers doing that. But some of you lost your way because you went out there and like Daniel, they tried to influence you in the literature and the language. They've changed everything on you, telling you that no, there, there, there's no God. You, you can't prove God. They can't prove there isn't a God. They can't. And so you gotta be careful. But back to the point, you moms know that you're sending your live child out on the, the, the culture and they're trying to send it back dead to God. And so you're on this frontline battle. Now, verse 21, let's get in the story again. When I rose in the morning, because they're still telling the story to Solomon. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son. Here's the one, the mother, whose child was alive but now switched. Nurse my son. Behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning. Big statement. Behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Ah. You know what that means? You moms, you know your own kids, don't you? You know them so well. Now, <clears throat> What I like in that verse is this. In the morning, I took a careful look at my child. Let me replay that in a different application. Moms, 
regularly take a good look in the morning in the light of God's word to see the spiritual and moral condition in the development of your children. In the morning, in the light of God's word, take a regular look at your children to see the spiritual and moral development or not. That's the battle because every day there's a programming going on. You want to win the programming. Now, verse 22. Then the other woman said, now the other one go, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, no way. The other woman who stole the child says, for the living one is, is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, 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 no. For the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now verse 23 says, Then the king, now he's going to speak, says, Hmm. The one says, This is my son who is living. Your son is dead, the dead one. And the other says, No. For your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. <clears throat> So the one woman gave us her story. The other woman objects. Nope. Solomon does some really, really important life application things here that are, that are that are important for us to at least segue into quickly and then come back. The first thing is he repeats the story back to them, doesn't he? That's smart to do when you're making decisions because you want to really understand what exactly is the person saying. But a few things are happening here. Let me give you a cold one. Solomon's being tested for his wisdom. If you back up in chapter 3, which we're not going to do, God says, what do you want? He says, well, give me wisdom and knowledge to lead this great people. That's when God says, I'm not only going to give you that, but because you haven't asked for riches, I'm going to give you riches too. So God gives him supernatural wisdom. He's the wisest man that ever lived after Jesus Christ. But here's the test, isn't it? The test to see, does this man really have the wisdom? Now, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says, every word of God is tested. Did you know that? So now that he has wisdom, God's word to him, you have wisdom, now there comes a test. Let's see if he really has the wisdom. Because remember, there are no eyewitnesses. There is no one that he can lean on for, okay, is she telling the truth? Or is she telling the truth? There's, there's no one there for that. Now, you know what I like about Solomon also in this situation? He gets both sides of the story. How many of us never seek the other side of a story? We hear the first person, that's it. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. You hear what, hear what wisdom says? You know, we typically hear one side of a story, go, that, that's it. But we don't get the other side of a story. He says, the first one sounds right until the second person comes, gives the other side of the story and goes, and you go, ah, oh, there's the aha moment. Oh, so it's not exactly the way the first person said. How many times have you had a neighbor come and tell you something about another neighbor and you've developed a thought toward them, but you never asked the neighbor about their side of the story? How many times have you done that with a family member, with someone in church, towards a pastor, towards anyone? How many times? That's sin. That's sin. You get the other side of the story or just choose not to listen to the first side of the story. And that's, that's simple. 
If we would just practice that, we'd be a lot better off in this country. Now, now where I want to bring you moms, I've, I've gotten to that place in the third part of the message now where I wanted to bring you to. <clears throat> Hopefully everything I've said beforehand will lead you up to now and it's going to make perfect sense because there's something I want to drive home today. 1 Kings now 3, verse 24 and verse 25. The king said, now he's got his solution. Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, here's a solution. <laughs> Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. What, 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 what? Solomon's wisdom is, give me my, bring my sword. I'm going to cut this kid in half. I'll give you half and I'll give you half. Now the question is, is Solomon callous? Is he cold-hearted? Does he not get? No. Solomon is wise. He knows he will never have to cut that child in half. You know why? He knows the real mother will speak up. That's wisdom. He understands that. Now here is where I brought you. Here's what I want to bring home. The two points that here's where we go. Mom, I want to make a statement then I want to get into it. Mom, there are two lethal weapons in your arsenal in parenting. There are two lethal weapons. The first one is the sword. He brings out the sword. Now, I've told you, I think a couple weeks ago or last week or sometime, I took you to Ephesians 6 and where Paul talks about the armor of God and he says that we're to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hmm. Let me tell you the first application in the lethal weapons that you have. It's a sword. Moms, parenting's not easy. Child raising is not easy. You will, as I have, as all parents have, be faced with some difficult decisions and dilemmas in your life with your child. You're looking for answers because the culture is pushing hard against your kid with all the messages coming in. When that happens, mom, you use the sword of the spirit. You use the word of God. That's what you do. Hear me. You get those kids in church at a very young age and you keep them in church. Hear me. You keep the word of God in their life. However you're going to do that, you do that. While they're in church, they will hear the word of God. Hear me. You stay in the word of God yourself. I'm not telling you to read it and study it as much as I do. That's what I do. But read a little bit every day. That's your lethal weapon. What do you mean, Jim? Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, said this. He said in Isaiah 55, 11, he says this. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth, capital M, God's mouth. It shall not return to me, capital M, God, me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. What is God saying through Isaiah the prophet? That God's word is lethal. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It gets in. 
Never underestimate the power of God's word. You read the book of Acts, challenge you one day to read it. Every time you see the word church, you see the word of God. It grows because the word of God is being taught and it's being inputted into people's lives. Never underestimate the power of God's word. It's your first lethal weapon, moms. You keep those kids in church. You keep that word of God coming. Now, verse 26 and 27, watch this. Then the woman whose child was the living one. Now the real mom speaking to him because Isaiah says, I mean, Solomon says, let's chop him in half. The real mom speaks up. The living one spoke up to the king. She says, for she was deeply stirred over her son. In other words, she gets hot. The real mom's getting hot. That's what the literal word means. Her maternal instincts are stirred up. And you know, moms, when you get stirred up for your child, you know everybody better get out of your way. Right, mom? She stirred up over her son and she says, here's what the real mom says. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. What? What? Give her the living child. And by no means kill him. But the other, which is the fake mom, said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Verse 27. Then the king said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Oh, man. Is that Solomon a wise guy or what? Point two. Your first lethal weapon was a sword. And the second one is selflessness. The fake mom says, cut him up. I, I, I really need a segue on this just briefly because I need to say something for somebody out there that needs healing in their heart. The fake mom says, cut him up. Now you got to remember the brokenness in her life. You got to remember the pain. Remember? You remember. Some people have so much pain in their life. Some people have so much brokenness in their heart. Some people are so wounded that they actually seek to input pain in other people's lives. They almost somehow get a joy out of it to make others feel pain. They become pain dispensers. You know that Jesus was a pain eraser? He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Listen, whether you're a Christian or not, a follower of Christian, if you carry such pain in your life that you are okay with inflicting pain on others, you're only hurting you. Get some help. Talk to people, get it out. Forgive, let go of the real pain of the past so you can be a person that blesses others that blesses everyone and not seeks to cause pain in people's lives please please do that that's all that's going on in that woman's life now here's what's interesting in the story to me moms Solomon knew he knew the real mom would give her child up rather than see 
her son, her child, die. He knew the real mom would sacrifice. She says, don't kill him. Don't, don't kill him. I will, instead of you, instead of you, think about it, instead of you dividing the child, I will, as the real mom, I will divide from my child. Instead of sacrificing my child, I will sacrifice my life and give up my child for the rest of my life so that my child might live. Whoa, that's a mom, isn't it? Now let's dig deeper because here's what I believe God popped into my mind and I was like, whoa, I had to tell Olivia. I was so excited. And usually she never wants to hear any of my messages until she hears me on Sunday morning because she didn't want to hear it twice. <laughs> now think about it. <clears throat> Some of you moms out there, you feel like, well, Jim, you know, I just don't know enough scripture to really, you know, handle that sword of the spirit, the word of God correctly and guiding my children. You're wrong. You're wrong. Here's what I know about you great moms out there, because I've talked to plenty of you. Some of you feel like, I, I so lack as a mom. I don't get it right. I'm going to ruin my kid. I'm going to do all these. Wait, stop. Stop. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm going to lighten your load right now. I'm going to show you what you're really doing rather than listening to the devil's lies who accuses you day and night, the New Testament says. I'm going to lighten your load. You're wrong about yourself and handling the word of God. You're wrong about not being a great mom. You're wrong. <clears throat> Turn to John chapter 1. Now watch this. John chapter 1 says this. Verse 1 says, now listen closely. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The beginning is before time began. God lives outside of time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, look at verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says this. And that Word, and the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I could go a long time just on verse 14, but... I'm at the end of the message here, so i got to tie it up. Okay. Moms. The Word is God. The Word, which is God, becomes flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. So the Word became flesh. That's the title of the message. The sword... <clears throat> which is the word, is going to sacrifice the child. But the real mother steps in. Remember, we just read that. And instead of the sword sacrificing the child, she becomes the sword in application by sacrificing herself, by becoming selfish and dividing herself from her child. In other words, the word, the sword, became flesh. That's you, mom. You are the word of God in application. The word became flesh. All the sacrifice, all the selfishness, all the things that you have sacrificed from your life for your child throughout the years, the word of God became flesh. That's love. 
Don't tell me you're not a great mom. Don't tell me you're ruining your kids. You're not. They're, they're, they're watching it next. You, you have the sword of the spirit, first lethal weapon, the great lethal weapon. The second one is you. You are a lethal weapon because you sacrifice for your kids. Now, I heard a preacher say a long time ago, or somebody said, things are better caught than taught. Say that with me. Things are better caught than taught. Okay. <clears throat> John 1, 14, right there, it said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What are these eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ talking about? They're talking about multiple things. But one is, one day in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountaintop. And Jesus transfigures before them, and they see him in his glorified God state. Light shining bright. They saw God. They saw him in his glory. They, we beheld his glory. Here's where I want to finish off, moms. I want you to think about this. Every time your kid sees you sacrifice for him or her and perform a selfless act, they behold the glory of God. The word became flesh in that moment. That's what you are, mom. They behold the glory of God every time you sacrifice, every time you're selfless. selfless. Your two lethal weapons are the sword of the spirit and you, and you. And the devil would like to make you think that you're not doing good when in reality, day in, day out, your kids are watching the Word of God in action, in love action toward them. Way to go, moms. You win. You win. That's what makes you great. And the Word became flesh. The selfless, selfless lethal weapon. Now, if you are watching me and you're not a follower of Christ, that's okay. But I want to give you an opportunity. Because you see, let me go back to those verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was God, but He came and took flesh, and He walked among us, and there were eyewitnesses to Him, His death, His burial, and His resurrected, glorified body. There's witnesses to this, and they wrote these things down. But He came to die for you. God came to die for you on a cross. He carried your sins in mind. And he wants you. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, man, today, make it today. Make it today. You might have family members sitting with you and you're watching only because it's online and you won't step foot in a church and they've been praying for you and praying for you. I remember they prayed for me for five years. But they want you to give your life. Son, daughter watching, come back to Christ. Get the fire back again. Come on. Grandma, granddad, if you're there watching, come on. Give, put your faith in Jesus. If you're watching by yourself, 
you know that there's something deeply voided in the midst of your life that nothing brings you ultimate happiness. Only the Spirit of God, only Jesus can bring you ultimate happiness. Come on. Put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you backslid. Maybe it's time to come back. It's time to come back. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now if you've never placed your faith in Jesus or you wish to rededicate your life. Here it comes. And all I ask you to do, this is a, it's so simple. that I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer. Just believe it. Because you can't earn it. You can't make your way to heaven. You gotta, it's a settled, done deal that it's done. Jesus did the work. All you do is put your faith, your trust in him, and you follow him. So repeat this prayer if you wish to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and forever or rededicate your life. I'm going to say it slowly so you can repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm forgiven. I now understand how much you love me. Today, I place my faith in you as my only Savior, God, and Messiah. Thank you for saving me. I'm following you for the rest of my life. Now allow me to pray for you. You can keep your eyes open, close them, whatever you want to do. But let me pray. God, I pray for those who prayed that prayer for the first time or in rededication out there. I pray for you. I pray that you follow up now. I pray you follow up because this is a relationship, not a religion. Keep watching church services and things online. Get a Bible, read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Gospels. Just stay in there for about a year. When the church doors open again after the self-quarantine, get into a church. You may be in another state. Get into a church that teaches the Bible, that worships God. Get in there. I pray for you. I pray that you have the greatest experiences with Jesus now and that you will experience the glorious life that many of us now walk in. It will not solve all your problems, but the person who loves you will walk with you through every problem. Well, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I had a great time with you. Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day again. And until we see each other, I'm gonna give you my digital hug. So God bless you guys. We'll see you later.